Amazing Grace Never Gets Old, does it? Tell you what, beautiful song. Well, great to see you once again here on this third Sunday in May. And we're in week three of our series, Hold Such and Reputation. We've looked so far at our ministers and our mothers, and now today we're going to look at our members. And so I want you to go with me to Philippians 4 to prepare for our reading this morning. Philippians chapter 4. If you're physically able, would you please stand as we read from the scriptures this morning? We're going to start in verse number 14. We'll read through the end of this fourth chapter and book of Philippians. Verse 14, notwithstanding you have well done, that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound, I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And let's pray. Father, would you bless this morning as we preach your word. I pray that you give us clarity. I pray that you give me strength of voice. And I pray that you would bless each one of us that we might partake in the word of God through the Holy Spirit. And understand what you'd have for us in our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, baby Cedar. Would you listen to this special song this morning? Stand on the mountain, 
Thank you, ladies, for that number this morning. What should be praying for uh, Brenda and her girls? Uh, they're going to be moving in just a few weeks here, coming up to go be on the East Coast. Justin's been there for several months already, and we're really sad to see them leave this neck of the woods, but we're praying for them, and we support them and befriend them. And if they need any help at all, we want to be a help to them. Well, when I planned this series several months ago, little did I know that a few days before I'd preach a message on honoring our church members, that one of our longtime full of personality church members would go to heaven. And as Brother James mentioned in the announcements, uh, the service for Brother Haas Pickerel is tomorrow morning at 11 here at the church. I know that Haas was a dear friend to so many people in this room. He'd been a member here at Centennial since 1984. And we're going to miss that guy for sure until we see him again. Uh, this past Monday, I was over at the Pickerels, and Haas was still talking a little bit on Monday. And uh, Andrew was with me, and Andrew and I got ready to go. And I uh, said to Haas, I'll see you later, Haas. And he didn't miss a beat. He said, I'll see you there or in the air. Uh, he barely could talk, but that's, that's one of the last things he said to me Wednesday. Um, he could barely talk at all by Wednesday and Thursday he passed. But Wednesday I read some scripture to him, and uh, he said, Amen. That's what he said on Wednesday. He said it twice. And uh, he, he still was there. He still was connected with the Word of God. And we sure are thankful that he's not in pain anymore. And I'm not sure if... Jesus has ever had anybody sit before the throne in bib overalls, but he certainly does now. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm sure Haas is having the time of his life up there. 
And in this series, we, uh, we're talking about holding high in reputation people who are a blessing to us in some way, whether it's within the confines of the local church or whether it's in our neighborhood or our city or wherever it would be. And in the series already, we've seen that Paul was careful to remember individuals and families that had invested in his life and his ministry. And we have instructions throughout God's word that we are to lift up and to honor other members of the body of Christ. When we get self-centered, it's easy to forget this important part of being in the family of God. In the modern consumer Christian mentality, there's this thought that I go to church to have my needs met and to help my walk with God and to train my family. And certainly some of those things happen at church, but that's not why we're here. We're here to love God. We're here to grow together. We're here to serve others. Those things are not just a sign we made up for the church. That's the New Testament in a nutshell. That's what the Word of God tells us that we're here for. And in living out that vision, we receive innumerable benefits to our own situations and families. Paul talked a lot about the way that other people had cared for him, had sacrificed to be a friend to him. Usually, the people who take the time and the effort to honor others are the ones that are incredible at being a blessing to the folks around them. And certainly that was the case for Paul. Today as we get into the message, I'd like to look at four people or families that Paul held in reputation within the context of his writings in the New Testament. The notes are provided in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along with us. And we see, first of all, in Romans chapter 16, the compassion of Phoebe. So let's travel to Romans 16. That's the first place we'll go here this morning. Romans 16. Give you a second to get over there. Look at the first two verses. He says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Kentria, that you receive her in the Lord as become a saint, and that she assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a succor of many, and of myself also. In this passage, Paul gives a brief commendation of a sister named Phoebe. Phoebe was moving to a new place, and Paul was recommending a transfer of church membership for her at the local church there in Corinth. And it seems that this dear saint was always noticing and meeting the needs of people around her. And Paul wanted them to hold such in reputation. I'm sure you've noticed before that there are people who show sympathy, but they never take any action on that feeling. Okay? Most of us call them politicians. Okay? They show sympathy for a particular thing, but then they never follow through with it. They never take any action on it. Uh, they're the, I feel your pain, but I'm not going to do anything about it type people. Now, in the Bible, there's also a mention of this in, in the book of James, where James is discussing the difference between those who say they have faith and those who actually work out their faith. And he says, some of you 
Uh, when somebody has a need, you say to them, be warmed and filled. Or you say, boy, I'm really going to pray about that need. And James says, but you don't have to do anything about the need. When you have the power to do it. In Proverbs, it tells us that we should do good to those that we have the power to do good to. Now, I'd submit to you that we can't all help everybody. Does that make sense? Right? But you know what you could do? And I love this thought. It's not an original thought with me. We could each help one as if we could help everyone. Right? So help one person like I wish I could help everybody. Now, sometimes we think, well, that's not fair, right? It's not fair for me just to help one person. If I'm going to help, I need to help everybody. Do you know Jesus is not fair then? When he went to the pool of Bethesda, you know the Bible tells us in John that there were people scattered all over Solomon's porch, that all over the place there were those who were blind and lame and maimed, some of them had been sitting there for years. And Jesus, the Bible tells us, helped one man. That's it. He wasn't fair. Now, Jesus wasn't fair anywhere he went when it came to calling disciples, when it came to you know, who he healed and who he helped. You know, we don't have to be fair in that. If we see that somebody has a need, we should do our best to help that person like we wish we could help everybody. That's what God's called us to do. That's what Phoebe did. That's the compassion that she had, that she showed. And it's really an important thing for us. Noticing a need doesn't meet the need unless you put some feet to your compassion. Biblical compassion is described in this way in the tiny book of Jude at the end of the Bible. It says this in Jude 22. And if some have compassion... Making a difference. You know, real compassion isn't just the emotion, but it includes the actions that follow the emotion. Whether that action is prayer, or providing for someone's physical need, or their temporal lack. Yes, it begins with seeing the need, but it continues with taking the lead. And Phoebe had been a compassionate helper to many people, including the Apostle Paul. She was well known as a servant. And now Paul was publicly commending her to the body at Corinth. Hold such in reputation. Let's go to another one in 1 Corinthians 16. So we went to Romans 16. Now the next book to your right, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And while you're turning there, I'm going to pop another cough drop <coughs> so that I don't have a coughing fit and scare everyone. I know there's a lot of people that have this cough, and I've heard that it's just a virus, right? And they said it's likely to last three to four weeks. And so be praying for these little ones. I know uh, little Dallas Freilich has really had a bad cough, and uh, even pneumonia. And our daughter Sophie, um, she has the cough mainly in the morning, and she coughs so much that she just throws up. And uh, then she coughs again and throws up, and then she's good for the day. Um, but be praying for those who've got that cough and all the sickness that's going around. So 1 Corinthians 16. Here we are. And we're going to see in verse number 14. Let all your things be done with charity. 
I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you submit yourselves unto such and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. I am glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, for that which was lacking on your part they have supplied, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge ye them that are such. And so we see the commitment now of a Stephanus. So we saw the compassion of a Phoebe, now we see the commitment of Stephanus. Paul was acknowledging the family of this man, Stephanus, and the household of Stephanus was apparently the first group of believers in the town of Achaia. And they loved others in such a way that they didn't give up on people. In fact, it says that they were addicted to the ministry of the saints. Now, that's a good thing to be addicted to, right? There are some bad things to be addicted to. This is a pretty good thing to be addicted to. And it is easy, I have to tell you, to have a fair-weather love toward other believers. Sometimes we love other believers who love us. We are kind to other believers who are kind to us. But you know, it takes commitment to have Christ-like love. Notice again verse 14. This is the premise that this whole thing is based on. Let all your things be done with charity. Paul is using this family as an authentic example of charity. And the component, <laughs> excuse me, the components of charity, Paul had just talked about in the same letter a few chapters before. I want you to go back to it for a second. In 1 Corinthians 13, maybe it's been a while since you have read the love chapter. And let's look at some of the, identi the identifying terms of what love really is or what authentic charity really is. 1 Corinthians 13, look what it says. These are the traits of love. Verse number 4, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself doesn't put itself first place, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. And boy, that's a, that is all-encompassing. And if you consider the charity that you have for people in the family of God, whether it is your husband or your wife or one of your own children, or whether it's someone that you've had a struggle with or someone that's been critical of you, someone that's gossiped about you, somebody that's taken advantage of you, Maybe somebody that's taken uh, some word about you and kind of rubbed it in or been less than kind to your family or to one of your kids. You know, that's real charity. That's real charity. I think if there's one thing that makes believers or people across the board rise up with non-charity or some people call it hatred, 
or anger <coughs> or venom or whatever it would be. You know what it is for most people? If you're mean to their kids. If you're mean to their kids, right? Like if you're mean to somebody's kid, prepare to see Mama Bear come out. Or Papa Bear, right? Whichever bear it is. And, and yet, in the body of Christ, God has a different plan for us. And He wants us to be able to resolve things that are between us. Uh, I like the way Bill Hybels says it. He says, keep short accounts. Isn't that a good way to say it? And we teach our kids this. If you mess up, it's not the end of the world, but keep short accounts. Right? Because everybody messes up every day. And if you keep short accounts with God or with other people, then you're going to have a joyful life. But if you hold on to things, or you don't confess things, or you don't apologize for things, then it's, it makes a rough life. It makes you miserable. And so there was a commitment now that Stephanus had and his family had where they were addicted to ministry. They didn't give up on it. They couldn't give up on it. They couldn't give up on people. As a pastor, there are times when people will come to me and say, you know what? We should keep helping so-and-so. And And, uh, I'm sometimes even in the mind, boy, I don't know. Seems like we've helped them a lot and not, not much has turned out. But I love that spirit where somebody said we should keep trying. We should keep helping. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't give up on the cross until it is finished? Because he saved us by his blood through the commitment of his love. And so this Stephanus and his family, when people love you in spite of your faults and your weaknesses, because they love Jesus so very much, it is important to hold such in reputation. We say that Jesus alone is worthy, and that's absolutely true. But you know, when one of God's children is the hands and feet of Jesus within the local church, we should celebrate that a sinner saved by grace is acting like the Savior who saved him. Isn't that neat? Where we point out there's a believer who's acting like his Father in heaven would want him to. There's a believer who's acting like his Savior, and he's doing what Jesus would do. It's okay to hold that up. It's okay to point that out. Now, let's go to the other side of the coin. We don't do what we do just to have it pointed out. Okay? We don't do what we do to be seen of men. That's Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says it right there. Uh, the Pharisees, they go out and pray out on the street corner, Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like the people on the other side of the street. Right? God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They do it just to be seen of men. We're not supposed to do that. But when we see someone who's acting like Jesus would act, we should point that out. We should stop the procession and hold them up in reputation and say, that person's been a blessing to me. That's the commitment of a Stephanus. And we should really point that out. Now I want you to go back to Philippians. And so that's a little bit to your right. This time to chapter 2 in Philippians. And I want you to notice now, in this third part of the message, the companionship of Epaphroditus. The companionship of Epaphroditus. Look at Philippians 2.25. 
Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that she had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him, therefore, the more carefully that when you see him again, you may rejoice, that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. So in this passage, we have seen it before in the series, Paul relates to the local church in Philippi the physical plight of their friend Epaphroditus. And we see that this fellow is listed as a brother, a companion in labor, a fellow soldier, a messenger, a minister. Apparently, he was a good person to have in your corner. He didn't regard his life because he was so intent on ministering to Paul and to ministering to other people. Do you know there are people with a local church, in this local church, who constantly amaze me with their selflessness? Well, they're always ready to give time. They're always ready to give of their effort or their resources when needed. And they never act like it's an inconvenience. They never act like it's taking away from their own lives and families. And I have to tell you, I am humbled by the believers at Centennial Baptist Church. And we should hold such in reputation. We really should. That's what God wants us to do. And so there's this companionship of Epaphroditus. And what a guy he was. He was someone who everybody looked to and said, if you ever need a friend, he'll be a friend to you. Uh, I, I love to go, yeah, just a couple weeks ago, I went to Somerville, Oregon, to a meeting I like to go to in April. And my wife and I have been going there uh, since 1998. And uh, when we first were moving to Idaho, uh, we went to that meeting. And uh, when you go to that meeting... It's in a, a little, little town about 15 miles north of LeGrand. Anybody here ever been to Somerville, Oregon? Boy, it's a kind of out-of-the-way place. You have to go there on purpose. And uh, it's way out in the boonies. And uh, the population of town is only like 110 people. And they have more people at church every Sunday in their church than that. And uh, when you go to that meeting, a lot of times they'll, uh, they'll take a young pastor and, uh, and uh, I'm, I still am calling myself a young pastor. And, and so they'll take a young pastor and they say, you see that guy over there? He's a good friend to have. I remember the first time I ever went there, they took, and one guy told me, you see that guy over there? His name is Rick Adams. He's a good friend to have. And Rick pastors Greater Portland Baptist Church in Oregon there. And uh, they would take me and point me, this is Greg Boyle. And uh, he's a good friend to have. And he pastors Faith Baptist up in Spokane area. And uh, uh, all of these guys say, that's a good friend to have. You know what I think Paul's doing in this passage? He's saying, you see this Epaphroditus guy? He's a good friend to have. Keep him around. Don't lose him. Don't lose sight of him. There are people within your family, within your extended friendships, 
who are good friends to have. And that's why the Bible says, I love what it says in Proverbs. It says, Thy friend and thy father's friend forsake not. Somebody who your dad thought was a friend, you should keep friendships with. And don't turn your back on that friendship. And um, get to know the people who've been a blessing to the people around you. Not so you can take advantage of them, but so that you can honor that companionship. And so that's Epaphroditus. Now this last one I want you to go to is 2 Timothy chapter 1. <coughs> Excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 1. And this is a very interesting one. We find in this chapter as Paul prays for mercy on a family in the scripture. 2 Timothy 1, verse number 16. Look what it says. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. And so we see in this last part of the message, the courage of Onesiphorus. Paul's praying for mercy for this family of the man Onesiphorus. And the context indicates to us that this brother had gone into the vile Roman dungeons to search for Paul. And back in that day, obviously they did not have a computerized list of the prisoners. Right? In fact, they didn't have a list of the prisoners at all. They had no record of who was in the prison. They just threw them in this miry dungeon where it was dark and damp and rank. And it, it really, did. they say that those prisons in the heart of the catacombs of Rome or the worst prisons in world history. Just as bad as it gets. And here was this man, Onesiphorus, who would go from prison to prison, from room to room, from cell to cell, and try by candlelight to identify Paul. Try to find him as he's locked up in these prisons. Now Paul was later moved to a house in Rome, and so there was a house prison where he eventually found him. But he was going through all of these prisons trying to find the Apostle Paul just so that he could be there for him and pray with him and minister to him and provide some type of sustenance to him. And he showed great boldness in his ministry to the Apostle. There are times when it takes courage to serve the Lord. It's easy to get offended as a Christian and just tuck your tail and run. It's easy to get wrapped up in the cares of this world and just give up. That's the easy stuff. But when the going gets tough, many people stop serving. In fact, there's a plague of convenient Christianity that runs like a virus through our 2015 culture. Yes, I believe I have my ticket to heaven, and if I feel like doing anything past, like, past that, then I'll let you know. If I don't feel like doing anything, then I won't. Could I say that that's not the type of Christianity that Onesiphorus had? That's not the type of Christianity that Jesus died for. 
That's not the type of Christianity that's real faith that James talked about in the Scripture. That's not the type of commitment that any of the saints that we visited this morning showed before the Lord and Savior. It takes some courage. If you know that you've gone off the path, Take some courage to get your life back on track. It takes some boldness to get out of the rut of your bad habits that you've allowed yourself to fall into. And when we see boldness in fellow believers, we should hold such in reputation. We should encourage them for the stand they're taking. You know, there are people that take a stronger stand on some things than I do. There really are. I've, I've got friends all over the place who take a stronger stand on some things than maybe I would. And here's what I think about that. If they're standing on God's word and not a personal preference or some opinion, you know what I would say to them? Way to go. Keep it up. That's great. Praise the Lord for your boldness. And I pray all the time that God would give me the courage to be the husband I need to be, that God would give me the boldness to confront issues within my own home, with my own children, that God would help me to not be afraid to address the cracks in character that he reveals in my life or in the lives of my children. We need boldness more than ever in this generation. It's sad, but there are a lot of people who are too afraid to call their seven-year-old out on his character because of what the response will be. Yeah, much less their 17-year-old. And we can't be afraid of that. We've still got to have the hard conversations, folks. We've still got to be there to address these things while we have the opportunity because we don't have the opportunity for very long. Soon, that opportunity is gone and it has flown away. And it is amazing to me how quickly kids grow. If you would have told me a long time ago that I was going to have a kid graduate from high school this week, I wouldn't have believed you. I still maybe not, might not believe you, and we may even rescind his diploma because I am having a, a hard time believing this. And then I got out the calendar and started looking, and I was a little bit shocked by this. I was stunned. And I realized that 25 years ago this week that I graduated from high school. Then I got to thinking, man, that's a while back. I'm getting old. And then I talked to some people, and they said, ha, you're a young pup. I graduated 50 years ago from high school. Or some of them said, I graduated 60 years ago from high school. And I felt a little better, right? <laughs> Time keeps moving. And if we don't take courage in the present there's absolutely no guarantee that we're going to take it in the future. And in fact, it gets harder as you go. If you won't take courage today, I'm going to go ahead and say the chances you're going to take courage tomorrow have diminished. And as a believer, God wants us to take courage in our lives, in the roles that we have. See, sometimes we think, boy, it would take great courage to go over to uh, maybe a nation in the Middle East where there's very few believers and to spread the gospel, and you'd be right. You'd be absolutely right. But you know what? It would also take courage to be a testimony in your neighborhood in Caldwell. That would take courage too. You say, boy, it would take courage to go over 
and, and work in like a juvenile uh, detention system, maybe over in another part of the world. You know, it takes courage to work with your own juvenile at your house. It takes courage to do the things that God has already called you to do and the roles He's already asked you to play. God's not asking you to step outside of who you are as a human being and outside of the roles He's given you. He's saying, take courage where you're at. That's what Onesiphorus did. He had a relationship with Paul. And he said, I'm going to find him. If it takes everything in me, if I have to go into the most dangerous dungeons and prisons, where at any turn in that prison, a prisoner could grab me and choke me to death because there's nothing to stop him. No guard there. There's nothing that would stop that prisoner from killing me. Yet he kept going and going and going until he found him. He sought him out very diligently and he found him. And to do that, he had great boldness. God wants us to have boldness more than ever. Most people had written Paul off. I mean, come on, the guy's in prison. How many innocent people do you know that get sent to prison? He's obviously a fraud. He surely doesn't have the hand of God in his life. If God was on Paul's side, he wouldn't be in prison. But not Brother Onesiphorus. He prayed, and he searched, and he served. And how Paul says, hold such in reputation. Could I mention one more person we should treat with honor and respect? How about the person that has the courage to confront my weakness? or my failure, or my blind spot. That takes boldness. It really does. And instead of hating that person for being honest towards you, how about thank him or her for their ministry towards you in the name of Christ, and hold such in reputation. There could be someone that God has laid on your heart today that needs some regard or honor from you. Maybe it's a person of compassion, like Phoebe. Somebody who's reached to you when you were low and helped you to get back to where you need to be. Maybe it's a person, a person of commitment, like Stephanus, who has stuck with you through thick or thin. Maybe it's a person of companionship, like Epaphroditus. Or a person of courage, like Onesiphorus, who has looked you in the eye I said, you know what? shouldn't do that. You know what? You ought to stop acting that way. You know what? I love you, but you're acting like you have no character. You're going down a path that's not going to end well. That takes courage. And you should be thankful for that person. Sometimes you look at a person like that and you say, that person is just trying to meddle in my affairs. And that could be. Some people do try to meddle in other people's affairs. I get that. But you know, if that person has a heart for God and they have a heart for you, they're trying to save you from trouble. They care about you. And maybe you need to get back in touch with that grandparent who you've written off because they tried to get you in line. Maybe you need to get back with that uncle or aunt who got on your Facebook page and said, knock it off. And be a friend to them. And understand, they're just trying to help you. They love you. And encourage people 
who've gone out of their way to be bold in your life, even if they still got rough edges, even if they're still cantankerous a little bit, you ought to thank them for who they are. I remember the summer that we were going to get married. I was staying at a, a family member's house uh, out south, south of Nampa, and um, I was working, driving pizza and uh, delivering pizza and getting ready for our wedding. And, and I had an uncle who just grabbed me late one night, and he said, come in here, I need to talk to you. He said, you know what? There's some things in your life that worry me. I'll never forget that. Uh, I asked him several years ago if he even remembered it. He didn't even remember he did it, but I did. I remember to this day that he would look me in the eye and say, there's some things in your life that I'm worried about. You know what? I didn't like it when he said it. I didn't like it a bit. In fact, I didn't like it for quite a while after he said it. But after I processed it and I thought about it and I realized what he was doing, I've appreciated it so much. I've appreciated so much that he would care enough to say, hey, I'm concerned with your direction. I'm concerned with where you're headed. And never get too big to be rebuked. If you ever get too big to be rebuked, the Bible has words for you. It says, let him that stinketh, stinketh he standeth. It's kind of the same thing. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. If you're above rebuke, you're about to fall on your face. You really are. And so God's got a word here. He says, if somebody has intervened in your life, maybe they've mediated, maybe they've prayed, maybe they've intercessed for you, you should thank them. You should honor them. You should befriend them. And if somebody's done that for your family, you should keep up that heritage and continue that relationship. So God's got a process for us here to hold such in reputation. Let's close in prayer this morning. As we close today, I don't know what God would have laid on your heart. There's so many things that we've covered, and the Holy Spirit may take any of that scripture and apply it to your situation or your heart. It could be that you have somebody that you're praying for. Maybe it's somebody that you know you need to talk to and you need to ask God for courage to give you the, the right words and, and just the right demeanor as you go into that situation. Maybe you do have a grandchild or a nephew or a niece or a loved one that you need to bring before the throne of God. And it could be that there's a relationship that you've lost because of your stubbornness or your pride or your refusal to honor someone. And maybe God wants you to bring that to the altar today. Maybe it's that you need Jesus Christ in your life and we could take the word of God and show you how you can know Christ as your Savior. I don't know what it is, but I would like to allow you to do that this morning. I'm going to ask Mrs. Hayne to play through a verse of invitation right after we pray. Our Father, would you work now this morning in whatever way you want, whatever you, way you see fit. I pray that we would have the courage to step out in an invitation like this and to be bold about our future in you to make decisions that would be worthy of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Guide us now. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Would you stand as you stand? She's going to play. The altar is open. If you need to come and pray, 
for yourself or someone or a friend, whatever it would be. You do what God wants you to do this morning. Come right now. Don't hesitate. Come on the first verse. 